0: Uh, Drew, Meredith, how you going?
1: Pretty good. I always see that uh, intro or the promo um, intro video and you look a lot different there.
0: <laughs> what are you trying to say? That was some... Uh, is it like six years ago, five years ago? So the, for anyone that's listening on a Saturday morning, we're just going <laughs> on video live on YouTube um, and there was a disclaimer video. Uh, yeah. So that was about three years ago. Pretty but beard. you can age so quickly when you run a business. <laughs> It, uh it is unbelievable also when you have like a a crisis um and you go from your 20s to your 30s during covid um you just don't get to celebrate the same way so um i've got a question for you i was having a uh, breakfast with a mate of mine uh, uh mr ryan newman cfa from um motley for the other day and he just wanted to confirm something that i needed to confirm with you oh which was Hi, that ryan. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: you're not a real doctor are you doctor
1: uh- no, I'm not. I, I do hope to one day get an honorary
0: doctorate. Yeah. Like Shaquille O'Neal or multiple basketball players have. But no doctorate, no. So like you would get one for like predicting interest rates or something. Something like could be anything, yeah. Yeah. Services do- to, to financial economic <laughs>
1: forecasting. <I'm not>
0: sure. <laughs> Bill Mitchell's gonna give you a run for his money. Again, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can see you in all the regala and everything like that. Um <laughs> In other news, Sam Altman fired, then comes back. All the while, I just saw an article from, this is from The Guardian, and we're recording this on Friday, the 21st of November, 2023. This is from The Guardian who says- You can't look away for
1: long at that. That was basically, he was gone, then he was back within 24 hours. Oh, yeah.
0: OpenAI was reportedly working on an advanced system before Sam Altman's sacking that was so powerful it caused safety concerns among staff at the company. The artificial intelligence model triggered such alarm with some OpenAI researchers that they wrote to the board of directors before Altman's dismissal warning it could threaten humanity. That was from Reuters. The model called called QSTAR was able to solve basic math problems it had not seen before. That's according to the information. Which added that the pace of the development behind the system had alarmed some safety researchers. The ability to solve math problems could be viewed as a significant development in AI. There this is what go, they man. called
1: uh, was it artificial general intelligence, where computers can think and reason for themselves. Yeah. Um, so Sam Altman was the CEO of OpenAI, which runs ChatGPT, mm-hmm. at 49% owned by Microsoft. Mm. Did you see what happened there? He. The board pushed him out. He basically signed to join Microsoft. 500 staff and programmers also agreed to join Microsoft. And then this whole thing kind of reversed and reinstalled reinstall, him as CEO within 24 hours. Mm.
0: Pretty crazy stuff.
1: Definitely, and the future of humanity <laughs> rests on it. So
0: we <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> hopefully they're making the right decision.
0: Well, in those forecast, 500, you know, you know, we forecast. trust. On this one? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's do a forecast. What's your forecast? Everything will be fine. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You, we want you to say the opposite so that you're Open wrong. AI, all right, yeah. <laughs> this is the beginning of the end of humanity. <laughs> um, I've got a hypothetical that I might catch you with. I heard it uh, while I was watching a show the other day. Um, if you, you have to have a choice between going to maximum security prison for one year or going for as long as it takes you to solve a Rubik's Cube. Which would you pick?
1: rubik's cube definitely it's not Why? that hard is it
0: how long would it take you to solve a rubik's cube i don't know like an hour mm, i think I, don't know, we, I've seen, I think there's like 12 moves down you, there for
1: rubik's cube that you can work out pretty quickly for practice
0: i'm gonna get you a rubik's cube and if you can solve <laughs> it in under an hour i'll go to prison for you how about that i
1: problem probably <laughs> staying concentrating on it for an hour <laughs> i give up for after <laughs> a while <laughs> And then Google had to solve a Rubik's Cube.
0: Uh, no, you can't have any aids, though, of course. You've got to go in there. Solitary confinement, just in there with your Rubik's Cube in the office. I'm going to do that. and I'm going to bring in a Rubik's Cube in before the end of the year. If you can solve it under an hour, I'll do something ridiculous. Can't be that hard.
1: Well, i pretty much got a solitary confinement in here, so it's In the studio,
0: yeah. So um, what's news? I see that CBA did something. CBA had a report. We had Origin with a bit of a takeover, some weird uh, 11th hour reverse takeover
1: uh, mm. idea. Uh, we have bank reporting since we've been a few weeks since we've been on. So a lot a lot has happened. Kathy Wood came out and said, we're looking at deflation rate cuts. Thanks, Kathy. Mm. Um, not this year, unfortunately.
0: Uh.
1: Telstra reported. NVIDIA reported. NVIDIA. NVIDIA. I still haven't worked out how to pronounce it. All of NVIDIA.
0: Above. Okay. Why don't Where do you, we start? Well, why don't you give us, as you go through, why don't you give us a score? Um, well obviously origin's not a uh, result so we'll maybe we'll start there but then you can give us a score a plus through to fail of the others
1: yeah perfect so you saw what happened to origin brookfield and eig are trying to take over origin which owns retailers gas i mean uh, energy retailing uh, octopus energy one of the biggest uk energy suppliers as well as coal-fired power stations here um and Australian Super, the big super fund, owns about 17% and is blocking a takeover deal that's been happening for about 12 months. Uh, they had a vote planned for yesterday and it was cancelled or, or deferred at the last minute because the bidders uh, offered a new deal, which would allow Australian Super to keep an ownership in the company once it went private. And then they offered a decreased price <laughs> as an alternative. <laughs> uh, but a very clear offer to split the business up at the same time, so it's kind of showing the power that these huge pools of capital have in markets. Now that Australian super is essentially determining Mm. the future of origin. Um, They want to take it private because they think it needs more capital to move away from coal Uh, and Australian super thinks it's undervalued and there's so much potential in that business.
0: Hmm. So what's your prediction?
1: It doesn't seem great for, I mean, we held it for a while and got rid of it um, when the takeover first came out, just for this exact reason, you know, there was probably an extra 10% upside in it, but the uncertainty that comes with these type of deals, it wasn't worth hanging around for. Uh, I want it to get done, um, but it seems like it's not going to, unless Australian super gets significantly increased price, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so next a, up. B, uh, yeah, I mean, not great ca- for shareholders at
0: the moment. but Not great for shareholders, yeah. so that's okay. Um CBA.
1: CBA was solid, uh, but there's some concerns about net interest margins. Uh, profit 25, 2.5 billion, pretty flat on the prior year, uh, and only as it one percent up on the first half. Uh, and like most banks, interest margin is continuing to, to the where they make all their profit, what they charge for loans versus what they give in term deposits, hmm. uh, is quite isn't expanding as much as people thought. So we all thought that higher interest rates would lead to bigger uh, net interest margins. Um, but still performing reasonably well. So uh, I think it was probably a B plus for C B A. We go on the A B C scale. Or we yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: B, plus. Like B plus. Yep. Um, a pretty good result. Business lending is still accelerating from CBA. They're yep. really focusing on this recently because um everyone knows this, but um, business lending is a much easier way to get wider net interest margins because you can charge more. Um, and as long as you get the kind of risk modelling down pat for the businesses. You can make a lot more money as someone who lends money to small business. The small businesses are
1: underbanked or underborrowed too, usually.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because It's because the big banks have such a crappy lending system for small businesses. We had um, uh, Joseph Healy and David Honoroy on the show earlier this year from Judo Bank, the founders of Judo Bank, XNAB. And they just don't have opportunity to – like small businesses don't have opportunity to go to a big bank and say, hey, this is what I'm doing will you help me out? Because it's all based on do you own a property? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's good to see them accelerating there. Probably makes more sense. Flat operating income. Yeah. I'd say it's, yeah, B plus is fair enough. And not the arrears that previously people were expecting. So, um, you know, it's pretty oh, joyful yeah, for a lot It of seems, like,
1: yeah. Like, it's like, I think it was 12 months ago, everyone was talking about the mortgage cliff and we've gone well past that. And that never quite happened. But we talk about it all the time. There's clearly people that are, that are, in pain and feeling the stress, but there's also uh, a cohort that's just getting more income from the investors that they have or haven't eaten as much in their offset account. Yeah. Um, I did hear so we're part of the bar. Uh, we just had an update from them this morning and in September there was a significant fall off compared to the prior year uh, in terms of uh, revenue or in terms of um, sales, so cocktail and food sales. Yeah, And that was across, apparently it was across the industry in September. Um, not sure exactly what it was, but maybe that's the <clears throat> cost of living and interest rates starting to hit
0: the belt. Yeah, yeah, well, it probably is. And $30 cocktails. How Like at the bar, beneath Driver Lane in Melbourne, if you're in the area, um, how, would it be predominantly people under 50, uh, under 60 or over 60 that go to the bar?
1: Under, definitely. Yeah,
0: well, yep. there you go. That's uh, an important question. <laughs> <laughs> All of us with a mortgage are like, yep. We Haven't been out in months, uh, <laughs> so um, but that's interesting, that's a really interesting anecdote, yeah. And it's
1: like having that exposure is, and you can see, and the days of trade in the city are quite different. We're also talking about heat maps of people in, in Melbourne, and when you're, you're not that you come in much anymore, <laughs> uh, but Thursday is the you know, Thursday and Saturday are the biggest days in the city, it used to be Friday. So Thursdays become a new Friday. Then apparently Monday is incredibly popular. Um, mm, so to more people are choosing to work from home at the end of the week. Mm. Uh, interesting. Seeing less foot traffic.
0: Um, okay, interesting. So one of, the pe- one of the things that people know you for is an alter ego, interest rate predictions, uh, but also uh, calling Telstra as a buy. I think it was earlier this year you went on the Australian Finance <laughs> Podcast, one of Australia's biggest podcasts, and you went on there and you said – buy Telstra, and there was a few eyebrows raised in the in the room that day. What's the latest? The it hasn't moved. <laughs> no, I think last time when I, I was like, "Come on, man, you have got to come up with something better than that." Um, but it it rallied 100%. through that.
1: It did rally from yeah to almost four fifty. Now it's under. Now it's back to three eighty. So oh, if yeah. you sold in July, you're great.
0: Plus you've had dividends. Uh,
1: you probably oh, broke man. even in dividend terms. Yeah.
0: So basically, what you're saying is if people Acted. don't
1: take my advice
0: <laughs> kidding <laughs> take, take retirement and financial advice um, from Drew but, but what's the return of the ASX 200 year
1: to date
0: dividends do, no, do, do you d- want an d- over under no, 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 I'll do, ask for dividends or no dividends like you're going price return ASX yeah. uh, I would say negative one positive one.
1: So yeah, you haven't underperformed the ASX that much. Yeah okay. Yeah, Telstra's right. down 1 or down 4 for the year. Uh and that's pretty you know, that's pretty surprising that the market's only up 1 and it's up but then it's only up 1 given how strong it was earlier in the year. Hmm. Um and there's something there's probably this linking to that AI story. You don't know that I hid some numbers on the um
0: notes that we've got here. Um, yeah, you hit some numbers using yeah, AI, and put them in a different font, so, <laughs> so you can't see them. <laughs> G-D- Owen G-D- doesn't prepare G-D- a lot for these, <laughs> as
1: we've worked out. He puts like three dot points. I put four hundred. Uh, so, how much has AI powered the Nasdaq this year? We kind of check in on this every few weeks, or month or so. What's the Are Nasdaq you- one hundred up year to date to today?
0: here today Nasdaq 100 including the magnificent 7
1: yeah over For, under
0: no 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 36% 47 jesus uh, but it, okay but Still i've been right. hearing if you exclude the magnificent 7 from the S&P 500 you're up like a cup, like single digits include them you're up about 20
1: yeah, that's like anything. You exclude the best ones. You've I know. I love those <laughs> things. I always think that to
0: myself. I'm always like, yeah.
1: If we did not, great, we did. Yeah,
0: but we did. Like those people that always say, "Oh, well, if you just avoided the ten worst days over the past ten years," and you're like, "What? <laughs> Who does that? Like impossible." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, cool. What else you got for me?
1: Uh, we had um, I mean, an interesting one. Was, oh, wait, it was Telstra.
0: What's is Telstra? It was more of an update. Yeah, so okay, it was right. pretty
1: flat. You know, nothing significant. They but returning to profit, a little bit of growth. Um, they probably missed the ball, missed the time in terms of selling their infrastructure assets. Now the bond yields are higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just doubling down on the things they're good at, digital infrastructure, uh and they're expecting um, uh earnings to be you know slightly better than this year. So. But again, it's like a. There's a role for different companies in every portfolio, uh, and this is one that essentially treat you treat like a bond. Um, yeah, that, that it'll trade uh, in a range over time, but it's basically paying out most of its profit as dividends, So, and it's pretty well secured dividends.
0: I was talking to. Oh, actually, public service announcement. If you hear this on Saturday or Sunday, can you please let me know if you want me to ask? Uh, David Lamont he's the CFO of BHP building I'm catching up with him on Wednesday uh, for a podcast for a bit of an interview uh, in the BHP boardroom. So I'm just going to be in there. Don't Not know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be doing in there. Um, probably interviewing him, I guess. Um, CEO of BHP, CFO, CFO. Oh, sorry. I try. I put you. <laughs> I am like, come on. Where's Mike at? You know, like, what are you doing Australian Investors Podcast? Bring it on. Um, I don't know. They need, They want Andrew Dermot. If you get it, <laughs> they need it. They, uh, I, I did name drop. I said Andrew Dermot has been on the show before. He could make an appearance. But if you want to, we've had some great suggestions for questions sent through on Twitter. Uh, so help us out. Just send in some questions. Uh, you know how to get in contact with us. Send us your questions via the link in the show notes. Um, yeah. The, the other thing I was going to ask you is a bit of a I'll give you an over and under. You always give me over or under. So I'm going to give you over or under. NVIDIA's return this year, 2023, over or under 200%. Just under. 240%. Ah, oh, I thought it was like 190. That's it's a, a 1. doubling and yeah, a It's half. a, yeah, a, a $1.2 trillion business now. That's crazy. It's, it's unreal.
1: But then you look at the numbers that they pumped out this week and it makes sense.
0: I'm yeah, sure it, think that... The
1: inflection is insane. So revenue soared to 18.1 billion from 6 billion a year ago. So a threefold increase in semiconductor sales for AI essentially, uh, and the quarterly sales were a new record, um, 13 billion. It's just like the yeah, and and this is talking about the initial part, you know, the initial growth of AI, where they're saying this could happen, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent growth in AI and this in semiconductors for the next five to 10 years.
0: It's. It's incredible. Want. Like the the um the transition of the business over the past year. Like everyone has known. I remember David Gardner from the Motley Fool talking about Nvidia. God, oh, 2013. Well, it was out of favor during the pandemic too. This is like it, I feel like everyone has always thought that this time would come. Like at least people that are in like the technology industry. But when it has finally come, I think it's still blown everyone away, how incredible it is.
1: And it's a massive tailwind. It's not it's hard to see it stopping. Cause you yeah. you know, this is just the initial part of that. Plus, they're they're not just doing AI, you know, they're in every other piece of high performance compute computing power in the in the world. So um, I remember in the pandemic, remember there there was a shortage of chips and they couldn't produce enough chips and everyone was yeah. selling them off while they're a cyclical, cyclical, cyclical company. Um and yeah, they, I think they traded, they were significantly lower. Um,
0: Those are probably the, the same people that trade. were buying Zoom stock when it went yeah, up 600% the and then yeah. went down
1: 800. It's not, it's not going to be, it's a
0: secular change, not a cyclical. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, it's actually just incredible. I think what, uh, the only thing I can do to rationalize what's happened is effectively the 500 staff from OpenAI AI hadn't got their full position in nvidia yet so they didn't want to release this um this rogue ai on the world just in case there wasn't they didn't have uh, enough uh economic incentive uh to benefit from it so uh, the other news which is the thing that probably everyone loves to hear about is hp uh, reported its results drew yeah hp not the not the most interesting company sorry <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hewlett-Packard
1: these days. Uh, I mean, the interesting part of NVIDIA was that the stock fell, not significantly, but they weren't happy with, you know, 300 three-fold increase in revenue. Um, it was the opposite for HP. So mature company revenue fell by 6% um, and basically sales across most of their business lines were falling as well, printing, uh, personal computing. Um, but they did say they're going to have their first AI-powered PC mid midway through next year. Mm. So maybe this is a leg up for a company like that to to, to get some of that um, J-curve in in AI-powered growth. But who knows? I can see a, a lot of product coming out at the same time.
0: Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so as we transition now, we've got uh, some hypotheticals. I struggled to come up with hypotheticals this week for Andrew uh, slash Drew. So if you are listening and you do have some hypothetical questions that you would like to put to either of us, you can use the show notes to do that. You just hit the Ask a Question button and uh, the link, sorry, and then hit the button that says Australian Investors Podcast. Actually, before I get to these, I did catch up with uh, Clayton Hatch from ProMedicus for a lovely coffee the other morning down in Richmond, Victoria. Clayton Hatch is the CFO of ProMedicus, who we all know or which we all know. Um, the isX is top-performing company, I think, still over the past 10 years. Uh, recently hit an all-time high. They had the AGM. Uh, the business is... Still just kind of ticking along. And I would, just, I came away from that, that chat with Clayton just thinking it's a wonderful team. It's really focused. It's, uh, it's culture is actually what you'd expect. A lot of the times, the businesses that you see and they talk about culture, they have things printed on the wall as you walk in, or f- nice photos, or they call their, their boardroom the Buffett Room or something like that. Um, you know, it's not always the case. So it's definitely, every time I've spoken with them, it's always been on, like on purpose focused people who just really care about the product and the community they serve so that was really reassuring for anyone that um for anyone that you know follows a company closely as i do so my hypotheticals for you drew are as follows um what has running your own business taught you about investing in companies and the reason i bring this up is we all know the quote from warren buffett uh which says something along the lines of I'm a better businessman because I'm an investor. I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman. What has running businesses taught you?
1: I um, mean, as you said, culture, but culture is so broad. Um, I think it's the the people and the teams that are within those businesses that it, it be, always becomes about the people, the leader. And I, I sat next to. a group called Kane Anderson, so a big real estate group. I sat next to the CEO of that company for a few weeks ago and mm-hmm. it was about the leader getting his team to grow rather than the leader being the, the key driver of that business so how do you delegate or th- either delegate authority or have you know leadership coming from below rather than relying on one person at the top yeah. if that makes sense um, and we we're talking i was talking to somebody else yesterday about this which is uh the ability to take a have a long-term strategic view and a focus on that Rather than do what happens in a lot in listed markets, which, as we look at the next quarter and six months, and in politics, we're worried about the short-term news cycle. Uh, so, how do you set a strategic, long-term priority and actually stick to it and eloquently, you know, have your teams buy into it at the same time? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and and that's how when as we run multiple businesses, how do you stay on track and make sure that you're heading in the right direction and don't, you know, lose the Forest for the trees, is that the right one? Um, Sure. Which is to understand where you want to be in five or ten years and and make sure everyone knows that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, That's fair enough. I would say something that I've taken away is that the more I've run a business is the more I realise that it is just absolutely essential to either be a manager or a leader in a business to understand and to be able to forecast how a business might run. Like it still bamboozles me that some of these analysts that are at top shops have ever never ever had like real operational experience because you just realize how unbelievably difficult it is to do those things like culture um to move a business and then on top of all that to try and predict it from one quarter to the next that would just like with like they try and predict it like specifically impossible absolutely impossible um so you can have a general sense of where businesses are going but um, that would be one thing that I've learned. Okay. Another one that we get a little bit is um, more around the educational side. If people want to move into the industry, Drew, we can be maybe a bit quicker with this one. If you had your time again, would you have studied the certified financial planning, the CFP designation? Um,
1: probably. I mean, I think it was kind of required when we did it, but it didn't add significant... Um... Benefit, And I think a lot of this is that, it's, you know, it's run by an association. And you have to be a member of that association to have that hmm. uh, authority. We've got, I'm an SMSF specialist advisor as well. And that's like when you're looking at retirement, that's very focused on SMSF super law tax law and very sure. relevant. Um, some, yeah, I think the CFP wasn't necessarily that valuable broadly. And maybe that reflected in the fact that so many advisors left the industry when the code of ethics came out, even though hmm. they, so many had the CFP mark as well.
0: Mm. is there another profession you would have chosen
1: you know what i like uh these days anyway interest rate just, predictions writing writing oh, okay writing yeah, my interest rate right. predictions. <laughs> yeah. um, i know journalism is a tough kind of industry to be in though so you know the, you know, the constant turnover you're part of that is what you do
0: yeah
1: uh but this you know, ability i've got this for some reason ability to write quickly maybe not that well but quickly uh, no, you get well. my thoughts down and maybe kind of uh not, um, and and translate hopefully complicated concepts into more straight, more simple uh explanations. So, writing for sure, I could sit in a dark room and you know write thousands of words after thousands
0: of words. Okay, well, don't do that because that might be a bit weird, but um, I think that, yeah, I think that that is actually a tremendous skill the ability to write, like we've spoken about it so much on the show. The ability to write for anyone that's like interested in investing or running a business is to put your thoughts down, even just for like journaling i find that i would say you know if i could choose a personality trait of something of other of person that i'd want to work with consistently it would be someone who journals yeah um because it just brings like perspective calmness lowers anxiety allows introspection like those types of things and um for that reason like writing is actually a very th- kind of like therapeutic thing um to balance out your behavior so that's cool um okay great your I didn't, own
1: head at the time too.
0: yeah i didn't expect you to uh, say that to honest, i don't know what i'd expect you to say maybe like professional nba player i don't know something <laughs> like five that. eight this is never a <laughs> i don't know you, you, i don't know it could be like uh, you know, some, of those, some of those guys there's one guy from the rockets that's pretty small he's great um we can't skip over kathy wood uh signaling
1: that we're in a deflationary oh
0: of course go trantier. for it yes tell us Tell us what to, this high growth equity
1: investor is to say about stagflation. The deflation <laughs> trend's has begun in commodities. So commodity prices falling and that's starting to feed through. So it could be in energy and starting to feed through every part of the economy. And next it's going to airline prices because we know that one of the biggest contributors to inflation in Australia was people going to Europe during summer. <laughs> yep. Uh, or European summer. Um, and uh, car prices, both of these things that were in short supply after the pandemic and they're kind of disappearing. So she thinks Fed's gone too hard and they'll cut off a you know, rate cutting program next year. Although kick off, sorry. Good honour. Um, <laughs> so, and we know that the first, the first cut usually in these environments, if something happens, is fifty to seventy-five basis points in one go. So I could get all by, Mike's <laughs> reverse in one,
0: one. So you're still hanging on, man. You're still hanging still on. What was One on. more meeting before yeah. the end of the year. I just need to create a liquidity crisis between now and next week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could be right. Um, could who be. Yeah. Yeah, well, say something about property or something. Someone being insolvent or something like that. And Yeah. um, I, I, Yeah, I mean, realistically, I love those headlines. It's always good to come out and say something. Uh, when you're a person like her, maybe you have a very strong influence and you can say things and people pay more attention to it and therefore it reinforces your status or oh, your... Yeah, when we just come on and say things, everyone's like, yeah, whatever, those guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, the US economy has actually been extremely resilient, I would say. Most of them, um, apart from Europe. Basically,
1: Australia's been pretty resilient too, to yeah. to what's happening. Um, well, think about it.
0: Everyone was predicting, I think Chris Joy came out and predicted like 26% annualized falls in property prices. I don't yeah. think that happened. Um, we Chris all the time, don't we? <sighs> poor chris maybe annualized Um, maybe maybe annualize it the daily rate um but um at the end of the day like that hasn't happened these economies have been very resilient very strong um and there's always something to worry about but i think like they wouldn't be cutting rates unless the economy was racing you know down down a slope that it can't come back from so i i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens in a stagflation environment where inflation is persistent but growth is slowing. What do you invest in? Gold? Gold? Uh,
1: stagflation environment Yeah, generally anything that has a link to inflation. So there's something like infrastructure, real assets that have a high replacement cost as well. But I'm in the camp that inflation's falling. Uh, and then eventually growth will turn and we're probably going to need to cut rates at some point. So, but yeah, stagflation is scarce assets really and um, less cyclical. Uh, anyone, and then you'll always say quality and pricing power.
0: Quality and pricing power sounds pretty good. Like um, tech. Yeah, well,
1: tech. Who, who performs well? Tech. Yeah. i have got a thematic headwind, t- tailwind.
0: To be honest, like the I spoke about this with Cameron Gleason from BetaShares during the week, sponsor of the show. Thank you very much, BetaShares. Name-dropping a lot. Um, Well, basically, my job is to speak with people, which I'm very blessed to do, Drew. I am <laughs> that's, very, that's very happy job. to do that. It's very Talk lovely. I, I, I Basically, it's, I'm very blessed, and uh, I do... It does not, it's not, it's not missed on me that I get to speak to these people and I get to do it on behalf of the community, which is wonderful, but Cameron was saying that um, people have like looked at the US equity market returns. Like you mentioned NASDAQ before S and P 500, the Dow, whatever, however you want to slice it. And they're like, well, you know, it's performed very well over 10 years. I think the NASDAQ's returned 20% compound for 10 years, right? An index 20% per annum, but the price earnings ratios and the way you value these markets in some instances in some of those years it actually fell because the earnings are growing so fast and so for a lot of people out there that are listening to this what it basically means is that even though an index goes up it can actually get cheaper over time because the company's profits accelerate and so we've seen that happen at a time when interest rates are going up
1: so same thing happens here where you know the results of our bhp and cba mean the market has a significantly lower PE ratio than what the rest of it say?
0: yeah but that's also why the australian market has significantly underperformed the u.s market because over there there's no tax incentive to withhold uh, to pay out all your dividends and um you've got to reinvent yourself you've got to do share buybacks whereas here you don't have to do any of that you can just pay fully frank divvies. let's not get into that dispute um So anyway, we've got some questions to get through, Drew. Uh, As always, we don't know your personal circumstances, your needs, goals, or objectives. So always speak with a licensed and trusted financial planner, like, say, the one sitting right across from me here, which is Drew Meredith and the team at Waddle Partners. You'll find a link in the show notes to speak with a financial planner. Uh, It says financial planning, and then there's a link. So if you click that, that's how you do it. Uh, Otherwise, you can head to the moneysmart.gov.au website. If we mention ETFs, funds, like super funds, products like insurance, be sure to read product disclosure statements or the PDS and target market determination on some of those things before you acquire or invest in those products. Past performance, not indicative of future performance. Also, if you set, if you write in with a good name, you get voted the number one name for the week. You get a free pass to the Value Investor Program, usually 499 bucks. It's yours for free if we select your question. Okay. Casual Rascal. They haven't started off well. We need full time rascals. That's what we need. Uh, hey, rascals, uh, I haven't heard you talk much about emerging markets, but I know you prefer active over passive. Do you consider emerging markets core or satellite? Is it, quote unquote, generally something to hold long term, i.e., decades, or something to monitor and assess on a shorter term horizon? Thanks, guys. Drew, generally speaking, EM, core or satellite. It's a myth. I don't know. I'm stealing your notes
1: there, uh, <laughs> Cora. I think. Uh, I mean, it's clearly a satellite. The risk profile of emerging markets is Absolutely. significantly higher than, than you know, the magnificent seven, the SP500, even the ASX200. You could say Australia is an emerging market if you want to get some headlines, mm-hmm. um, because they are in crowded China. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we view a Core as being, you know, incredibly highly diversified across uh, sectors and super low cost And emerging markets are kind of less diversified and higher cost generally to access, but they're also much more variable and cyclical. And as we've seen, emerging market returns are heavily driven by currency and what's happening in the US uh, and around the world as to yep. how the equity markets perform. Yep. Core satellite for you?
0: I think if it's in your core, it's got to be a very small allocation. Yeah. I think we've seen some in the last five years, we've seen this proliferation of, uh, Robo advisors or f- fund managers, like multi asset fund managers here in Australia, who even overseas, to be honest, to be frank, some of the big hedge funds in the US do it as well, where they kind of think that all of the g- economic growth is coming from Asia, and they would be right. Over the last thirty years, China, in particular, heaps of the economic growth has come from them. But has their stock market done right? No. Yeah, it was it was okay up until the mid two thousand and tens, but then. You know, we started to get more regulatory environment, a shift, a pivot in the economy, a pivot in the types of companies that were benefiting, and ultimately, you got a first-hand look at what it means to be investing in an emerging market. We saw Russia was basically cut from the indices, so I would just say, if it's going to be part of your core, it's got to be a very small allocation, like sub ten percent, sub like sub ten percent, um, even for a high-growth investor. Um,
1: you're always looking at these as long term too. You might have a tactical oh, have view to. in the shorter term, say two, three years, but equity allocation to this, you you want it to be five, seven year view.
0: Mm, absolutely. One of uh, the things that um is quite interesting about this Matt story, uh, who was working on our Rescue Invest investors, he um did a bit of analysis into this, and basically it shows that there's kind of a myth around EM in that um a lot of the economic go growth doesn't translate into earnings growth and that's a key fundamental thing to understand is like so it just simply doesn't translate even though the country might be growing per share profits not reflective market, of that for the index yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah that's why i mean we've always won they're under-researched and it's super inefficient but you have to go active in these places because you want the companies that are growing earnings you don't want the index you want to know which parts of the economy in those and and pick and choose
0: the, the ones in the best positioned at any given time. Yep. Amen. I'm, uh, Alex writes in, I assume that's the real name. Do you provide full transcripts for interviews? <laughs> Thank you very much. And they reference the Brett Kelly episode. Uh, we don't do this anymore. We did in the past, Alex. You can, um, you can use a service like otter or rev.com or something like that. And you can just put in the URL of a podcast or a YouTube video and it actually does a full... Transcript uh, for you. So you can use one of those services if you like. Uh, there's also captions that are available on YouTube, closed captions, uh, if you're hard of hearing or something like that. So uh, check that service out, Alex. So Costo Lee writes in and says, Gents, I'm in my early 20s and, like many at the moment, still living at home. I have a stable, well pay- paying job and, unfortunately, in a position where I want to start putting 20% of my paycheck. Into investments. That's not including my savings. I have, quote, dabbled in stocks and ETFs but want to start taking it seriously. What advice would you give an early career professional who currently has a large amount of disposable income and wants to get a head start building wealth for the future? For example, if you're young, is it too early to begin putting money in super? Paying off the hex? Any resources or tools would be great. Thanks a million. I assume that means costo is going to send us a million dollars which so. is fine um you go first if you want
1: uh, i mean the first one is good start i mean you're living at home and using you're putting your savings or your excess income to you know something productive so mm. uh whether it's etfs turn deposits shares super um you're in the right direction everyone you know the lesson everyone says is what what would do they wish they did uh um, what mistake did they make when they are investing in Is they didn't start soon enough. So yeah. that's step one. I mean, generally, in, in your 20s, there's little benefit in putting money um, into superannuation at this point. You, the conditions of release mean you're not going to get any access to it until you're at least 60, maybe 65, mm. maybe longer. Um, you probably live to 100, which <laughs> <laughs> is a long time to wait. Uh, and you know, for that reason, putting investments outside superannuation generally makes sense. Um, I you've got a hex question there. This is the this one always gets. I know the finance podcast, and I know some I know the guys at Equity Mates have had different views on this too. It just depends on what your objective is. So if you've got a hex or a help debt, which is you know student or uni debt, uh, it's going to impact your ability to borrow to buy a house. Yeah, but at the same time, it's incredibly cheap borrowing that you couldn't get now because you don't have any security. So there is a benefit in not paying it off, and then likely paying it off if you need to borrow in the future and it's restricting that.
0: Yeah, I think hex debt should be paid off when you or at least should be considered to be paid off near the time you want to borrow because the thing about the thing that makes hex debt hard if you're borrowing for your first home is be, it's not that it's the debt which obviously would reduce your assets and liabilities comment it's actually income statement your personal income statement because hex obviously applies over 49,000 or whatever it is these days. Uh, it takes a big chunk of your income away from the the servicing ability and so that's why basically every mortgage broker would like it if you didn't have hex um i would say the best advice i got early on was to not dabble in stocks i think if you think about drew's comment about the number one piece of advice is start early the kind of the i guess the corollary is that how we say it uh, to that is that if you did start early, you didn't just go into specy Stocks and blow yourself up because then there was no point starting early anyway. Yeah. I, I think the best thing to do would be to follow that core and satellite approach. Generally speaking, this is what we tell everyone in the RAS community, is put 80% of your money in low-cost, boring ETFs and put the other 20% into your brokerage account uh, that is responsible for your share trading. I, I separate those out. Um,
1: That's because and- ETFs
0: are broad-based. Yeah, and you're going to capture the market returns, which you, over the long term, you know, is going to average 5 to 10% say of a diversified portfolio. Um, and that's your plan B. And as your skills and knowledge un, uh, increases, uh, because you're using that other 20% to learn about businesses, to go and explore the balance sheet of NVIDIA, to find out what makes a Costco business model so fantastic, or why Telstra is a horrible business. And I can't believe it got recommended on the Australian Finance Podcast. Um, so these types of things. Uh, once you go and figure those things out, you can then build your confidence and your knowledge and your humility too. But one final thing is I, I wish Drew when I was younger and starting out, this is maybe just, I wrote about this last week was. I just wish that I wasn't so anti-property in the early days. Like, yeah. because I grew up in finance Everyone does in our generation. bought earlier. Yeah, I just wish that, um, like, in the early days, I was like, oh, Warren Buffett says businesses, you know. And I was like, uh. I wish I took my money and had a bit of more of a personal finance understanding, like around tax and around loans and that type of thing. Like, not just focused on stocks because i would have had my if i had my time again i would have taken my share portfolio bought a property paid down some of the equity redrew that equity and used that to buy shares i would not have bought shares directly
1: I wish I understood interest rates better because essentially that's what's driven mm. property prices for the last <laughs> twenty years. If I knew that interest rate falls, we're going to make my property worth triple the amount in fifteen years. Yeah, we all should have leveraged up as much as we could. Uh, yeah. A lot of people did, uh, yeah. like baby boomers. They, everyone thinks it was easy. They just took a whole heap of risk. Yeah, they did, take up risk. And, Yeah, and they yeah. got the benefit on the other end. And yeah. bond yields were and interest rates were central to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So same with, like, population growth here in Australia. Um, Joe Blow gets FOMO. Says, hi, Owen and Dr. Deremouth. It's it's a shame I don't have anything around my name. It's just Owen. Hi, Owen and Dr. Deremouth. I hope you're well. I always hear you guys talk about various asset classes, diversification, etc. Although it sounds fun, I'm very early in my career and don't have much to invest right now. I also want to buy my first house in Sydney at some point, which they say is bold. So my question is, how many asset classes should someone be focusing on and which ones? It's obviously a general question. We don't know your circumstances Uh, or your objectives for the matter, other than the house which you've given us, which, you know, we would always caution anyone from investing money that they need for a house deposit at least a couple of years in advance. You want to be making sure that money is safe. But anyway, like how many asset classes do you actually need, Drew? Like you got Aussie shares, US shares, European shares, emerging markets, India, fixed income like yeah. government bonds us bonds like gold where do we draw the line i think in this case if you've got a
1: property you're gonna do a property purchase soon then you don't want to be considering any of them you just want to be you know putting it in cash and getting as much low risk mm. return as you can if you if you're younger like you're the last person in the 20s and looking for growth well it's pretty just don't over complicate it you can go from incredibly broad like we're talking the sp500 or the asx 200 so Australian shares and Newer shares, and you can go so niche that and so narrow and granular, uh, it's ridiculous. But I don't think you need to go beyond for a long period of time. Uh, Aussie shares, global shares, and then maybe some non, uh, so some less correlated things like property securities. So REITs, probably so that's an old version of that. <laughs> It's my birthday this week, so maybe i will just a bit <laughs> old, long in the tooth, um, and infrastructure. And you can access all them through ETS active funds, very easily, or directly as well. I think, but they're the key growth assets um, mm. on the, on the on a listed version, anyway.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. The uh, I would say Aussie shares, and when I say global shares, I actually mean US shares. Um, I actually think US shares. I take a preference to US shares over all global shares, to be honest, because of the Americanism kind of American exceptionalism. I kind of believe in that, to be honest. Um, so I would have Aussie shares, US shares, um, emerging markets in, like we said before, in the satellite and property for a young, pe- a young person. So in this case, like in most cases, it would be property, Aussie shares, US shares. Then going down the list, I'd have some cash. As a young person, you can probably put that in an offset account, but then eventually you want things like AAA or cash products and then maybe some fixed income as you approach retirement um that's probably the starting point anyway there was uh we've got time for a couple more quick questions i reckon drew just real quick um maybe we'll just actually we'll just finish with this one which is quite uh, i love the name so this is probably where it's worth finishing this is the questioner's name here lies the prediction of rate falls in 2023 (laughs) by dr andrew terremoto uh uh BetaShares has come out with its BetaShares direct platform, they say. They have an autopilot feature, which where they construct a portfolio for you at a cost, but they advertise that if you can buy slash sell any ASX listed ETF for free, if you don't use their autopilot feature and just do it yourself. Would this be worth the effort to save in brokerage? Drew, BetaShares is obviously a sponsor of the show. I've got to make that very clear. I actually haven't looked that closely at this, but generally,
1: my view has always been if, if it... If the product costs nothing, you're the product. Um, hmm. Is that the right? Is that the word? Yeah, I think that, yeah. I think it's you a the poker free, table kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that if you're getting something for free, you're paying for it somewhere. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case here. And they're clearly that. So BetaShares is making the decision. They've done incredibly well getting advisors um, involved. In, you know, in in recommending ETFs. That's where a lot of their market growth has come from. Um, and this is a this is going directly to retail investors and 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 building their relationship with them um mean, there's so many options it's more about finding one that suits you and it may it's probably good for ets but then restrict you if you want to do direct stocks at any point or and as you said there may be there's a, a multitude or multiple platforms you use for your trading
0: yeah i think so i think like um i think you don't have to have one platform i think that's the key thing i always like um to know the details of the the types of platforms that are out there Um, in Australia, we have a very unique system known as the chess model, um, which is where you get your own number that's identified against you at the, uh, with you at the ASX. Um, So that's something that I do like to see. However, you don't get a lot of the features for low balances that come um, with that model because it can cost a little bit of money. So um, I would say like you can test drive it if it's free, right? It says autopilot in the name and it's free. So you can test drive it. Um, and so, I I I don't make decisions based on fees anymore. That isn't as Drew just said. I do not, to be honest. The industry, the f- investment industry, is I think well past that nowadays. I think if if people still make decisions based on fees alone, of course we're finance people saying this. But if that's the only thing that you think about, then I think that's going to end up costing you. It's like people that only believe in index funds. Like I just, why? constrain yourself to something that may or may not always work and um i just think go and check it out there'll be a i mean there's an ad for the thing on the show so you may as well go and check it out see what you think give us your feedback as well i'd love to know what you think um i love any of these automation features that allow people to dollar cost average i actually do like these things because um it just encourages good behavior as opposed to the old you know, brokerage accounts where the first thing you log in and see is a daily price chart or some candlestick pattern or that's just stuff designed just to make you lose money over the long term. Um, So keep it simple. At least that's for me. I'm not smart enough to do any of that trading stuff. Um, Okay, so I think if you've got the dad joke locked and loaded it's in the rocket launcher ready to be fired out, I might go with the best name for this week who wins the Value Investor Programme I reckon um, here lies the prediction of rate falls in 2023 by Dr. Andrew Derriman, who did ask about the beta Shares platform. Love the name. I loved all the names. And thank you for the questions. Please keep sending them in. Uh, you can get in contact with myself on, on Twitter, Owen Rask, or you can just send in uh, your feedback and comments. Uh, one thing I want to do a shout out to before we get to the dad joke, which is what everyone's hanging on for, um, is just that. Over the Christmas period, particularly in January, we're going to be doing a countdown of the best episodes ever across the Rast network. Um, and so, I would love your feedback. If you're on Twitter, if you're just if you've got two minutes, please help me out by sending in your suggestions of the best episodes ever. So, well in excess of five hundred now. What are they? please let me know like we've had some fantastic people on the show some of the most of the people that listen to this show today would have missed so many of the fantastic conversations over time and not just from drew and i of course but um of all the interviews we've done over the years um like one of the wonderful ones that from many years ago went for almost three hours was peter peter pan who runs castle ray equity in sydney um wonderful conversation even the very first episode Um, with wayne was wonderful Um, wayne peters so check out all of those and please let me know in the feedback it would be really i really appreciate it so all right with all that said drew from water partners retirement specialists financial planners tell us more (laughs) sorry the suspense is killing me i missed the end of your question there no no i was going to say what is your joke for the week
1: Oh, sorry. Before um, <laughs> you halfway out of the office. So this one was a very one that was one that's very close to home. Uh, um, oh, okay. And that question is, or the the joke is, uh, I never liked facial hair until it grew on me.
0: That's not that's not that good. It's not, it's not the fish in a riverbank type yeah, thing. I was, uh, I was way off. Was it shocked. always gets a laugh from me though because I'm always like. I'm always preparing for something and sometimes it doesn't land. Like sometimes it doesn't come, but that, that's okay. It did not land at all. Can I try a second one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, go for it. Give us a I'm getting line. desperate here.
1: Okay. Where
0: are you sourcing uh, the jokes from? This is probably the you, number you one thing. don't want to know thing. today. Not the normal place. <laughs> okay. There is a wonderful, um, there is the fountain of dad jokes on Twitter. At dad jugs jokes. Go. What is
1: it? I was playing chess with my friend and he said, let's make this interesting
0: so we stopped playing chess <laughs> <laughs> yeah right go go and play with your rubik's cube i think it's the message for today because we're going to need to get that that testing actually i am going to get you a rubik's cube it was your birthday the other day i'm going to get you on i'm going to bring it in the office and we're going to sit down for an hour and you we're going to film me we'll do, it on the next gonna, we'll do a live episode as you solve a rubik's cube i think we can do that monique i know you're not here this weekend to do the audio edits but next week we're doing this. Well, Drew, this has been heaps of fun. If people want to get in contact with you, they can head to waterpartners.com.au or even better, there's a link in the show notes that says ask a question. Uh, Select the Australian Investors Podcast. There's another link in the show notes that says financial planning. Go in there and fill in your deets. Drew, pleasure, mate. Thanks for joining me.